Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. We're so thankful that you've been here today or come today to celebrate with us. Uh, We're starting a new teaching series today called Journey to Christmas. Uh, Every single one of us is on a journey in life, and all of our journeys this year at this moment are leading us to into the Christmas season. And so we're going to be looking at the biblical stories of people's journey that took them to the original Christmas celebration, uh, the birth of Jesus when it first happened. So today we're going to be talking about Mary, and we're going to be looking into her life uh, and, and talking about what it means to say yes to God. Next week, we're going to look at the life of Joseph and just talk about what it means to have faith and trust God in the journey and in the process. Then we're going to look at the shepherds and their uh, short journey from the fields of Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem, to the the manger. And then we're going to talk about the wise men, the magi who came to find Jesus. And so uh, we're excited about that. We will close up this series on our Christmas Eve Eve service on the 23rd, where we'll light the Christ candle, uh, representing that Christ has come and that we're anticipating him coming again. And we'll talk about what it means to to experience the fullness of his love. And so I hope you'll be here for all of those things. While we're talking about the Christmas Eve Eve service, let me just put two things kind of in your mind for that. Andy talked about it in the announcements a little while ago, but you should uh, have received a devotional. If you've not yet already, grab one on your way out. There are some invitational kind of things that you can use to invite people to come to the Christmas Eve service. And then also the little white cards, business cards that have the times and dates and location and all that kind of stuff. We'd really love for you to be thinking about, praying about, who you can invite to come with you to the farmer's market on December 23rd. Uh, And preferably, not somebody who goes to another church and just doesn't have a service that night. You go, hey, come to ours, and I'll go to yours the next time. Like, uh, Don't just necessarily do that. We're not going to turn anybody away. But what we'd really love is for you to talk to some friends, coworkers, family members who don't go to church anywhere, who don't know Jesus potentially, and that you would invite them to come and be a part of that. We're using that night as an outreach to talk about the love of Jesus and his coming into this earth to transform us and to change us to give us hope. So we'd love for people to come who may not know him, and who might meet him during this Christmas season. Uh, The second thing that I want to say about that night, some of you have asked and may have even noticed, and I want to say thank you to Aaron Henderson for leading us in worship this morning, Aaron and his wife Emily uh, and our band, but uh, some of you have asked recently about, hey, we haven't seen MK in a little while, what's going on with MK? Uh, MK came to us a little while back and said that she was kind of turning some of her focus and attention to going back to school full-time, she's working full-time, and something had to kind of give in her schedule, and leading worship here was kind of that thing that needed to, to give, and so... Uh, For over the next couple of months, you're going to see a rotation of people in our church. God's blessed us with a lot of great musicians, so we're going to just be rotating some people to lead us in worship while we're also looking for a full-time worship pastor for our church and and uh, re-investigating that aspect of what we're looking for for our church, all right? So the 23rd on Christmas Eve Eve will be MK's last official time to lead us in worship, so when you see her on that night, please tell her how much you appreciate her and love her and just show her some uh, some love uh, on that night, okay? Hey, let's pray together as we jump into Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and start turning there, but let's pray. Jesus, we just invite you once again into this time. Holy Spirit, these are moments that we come with anticipation, preparing our hearts as we've sang, preparing our hearts as we've listened to, to stories and testimonies this morning, preparing our hearts as we've prayed already, and knowing, God, now that we'll hear from your word, which is your voice to us. And I pray, God, that you just speak clearly to us today. 
Help us to hear from you, to know what you're saying to us and to respond in obedience to it. Uh, And then God, tonight or this afternoon, as we finish up our service and we take communion, I just pray and ask that it'll be a moment that we can connect with you in a very real way as we see uh, your sacrifice on the cross, that you went from this baby in a manger to this man on a cross. And at all times in that journey, you were the Savior. You were the King. And so we give you our respect. We give you our adoration. We give you our praise. And we want to bring our lives in full submission to you today. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question as we kind of get started today. Have you ever said no to something and later regretted it? Like you were kind of like, oh man, looking back, I wish I had said yes, but I said no. Anybody uh, might have something that comes into your mind, pops into your mind, lots of stories maybe that come in. I can think of a guy that used to work with my dad and for my dad uh, years ago, and and he told me one time uh, about a group of guys who came to him, some of his friends, and they had this startup venture that they were going to do to open a restaurant, and they wanted him to be involved in this initial startup company and invest in it, but it was going to take a substantial amount of money. It was going to take a substantial amount of time, and he just wasn't in a season of life where he felt like that was something he could do. And so he said no to this investment opportunity and he turned it down. The restaurant that he had been given the opportunity to invest in is called Cracker Barrel. You might have heard of it. He regretted very much that he said no to that offer. Uh, And yet looking back on it, it's like, man, if I had just said yes, how might that have changed my life? What could have been different? What would have been just radically different? And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Mary, and one of the reasons that I love the story of Mary, and I love Mary as a person, is because Mary is someone who says yes. She's not someone who's carrying around regret that God came to her with something and said, I've got this assignment for you, I've got this thing that I want to offer you to do in my kingdom, and Mary doesn't have regrets of going, no, I don't think I'm in for that, I don't think I'm up for it, like Mary says yes. And so I want us to look this morning at her story, because as we read it, we see the results that take place, that her yes results in God's ultimate purpose of redemption being fulfilled in this world. Now, I imagine if Mary said no, God would have gone, okay, I'll find somebody else. Like, this is happening (laughs) one way or the other. We're going to bring the Messiah into the world, but we don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to speculate about that because Mary says yes to the assignment. So I want us to read this together. Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26, and we're going to read through 38. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now let's put the brakes on there for just a second because you might read this and go, I thought we were talking about Mary. Who in the world is Elizabeth? If you're not familiar with the story, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin or, or close relative. And the story, if you read in Luke chapter one, before this, the entire story beginning with Luke in his gospel is about uh, Elizabeth and her husband and their older people. They've been unable to get pregnant. They've wanted a child uh, and yet they've never been able to do that. And an angel comes and says, you're going to have a child even in your old age. And there's some chaos that ensues. Uh, he says, you know, I don't, know how this can be, and are you sure? And the angel says, okay, well then, since you doubted God, you're not going to talk for the next nine months until the baby's born, and like just slams his mouth shut. And and then he goes and has to like write stuff to his wife and go, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, that's crazy. I'm old. And he's like, I know, but here we are. And so she gets pregnant in her old age. And the child that she's going to bear is is told to them that's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. We know him as John the Baptist, right? And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, 
a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary, uh, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And so last week, we looked at a passage, and Kyle did a great job teaching on this passage last week in Galatians chapter 4, and we read this. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Right, so thousands of years earlier, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was a promise that God made. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent and who will bring redemption for my people. And Galatians said, when the set time, when God knew it was the right exact moment, he sent his son into the world. Born under the law, born of a woman. And so we've got the story already of like God's got a plan, he's got a time. And now as we read this story of Mary, we see that God chooses the vessel through which he's going to bring his son into the world. He's got the one that he's chosen. He says, this is where I'm going to go. And he chooses this young girl, Mary. Now, when we think about Mary, I don't know what your reading of the story is or how you think about it. Because we're kind of Western culture and the way we do marriage, we even are waiting later and later and later in life to get married now. A lot of people are in their late 20s, early 30s. It's kind of a pushed back type of thing. But in this culture, marriage took place pretty early. Mary may have been 13 or 14 or 15 years old. And that would not have been an unusual thing. And so the angel comes to this young girl, and she lives in this town. We're told she lives in Nazareth. It's a town in Galilee, right? Nazareth was a village community that had around 300 people in it, just a small place. So if you're thinking, man, if I was God and I was going to send my son into the world, I've worked for thousands of years to build the story to this climactic moment of choosing when and where and now who I'm going to bring my Messiah into the world through, would you have chosen Mary? Maybe not. You might have had different plans. You might have been like, well, I need to get somebody who's pretty mature and who's a little older and who's financially taken care of. Like, I would do all these other things, and God goes, no, that's not how I'm going to operate. God doesn't do things the way that we do things. He looks at this little village in Nazareth, and he says, I'm going to pick that little girl, and she's going to be the one that I use to change the world by bringing my son into it. And here's what I love. Mary's journey to that first Christmas just simply begins with her saying, yes. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And we don't always see that in scripture. I was thinking back this week on a few of my favorite stories in the Bible and how people like to argue with God and tell him no. Like, I don't know if you've ever told God no before, but there are people who do that all throughout scripture. One of my favorite ones is Moses, 
who's in the wilderness, in the desert, when God comes to him and takes this bush that's in the desert, and the bush is uh, on fire, but it's not being consumed, and Moses goes over with curiosity to see it, and God starts talking to him out of the bush. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh in Egypt, and I'm going to have you be the one that tells him to let my people go, and you're going to rescue my people from slavery and bring them out. And what's Moses start doing? Uh, God, I don't know if you've met me before or not, but I kind of have this stuttering thing. I've got a speech deal, and I'm not really good at that. And, I, you know, I've kind of been running from Pharaoh. I don't know if you know my backstory or not, but I like, killed a guy back there. And so I've been on the run for these last 40 years living in the desert. And, and Moses just starts coming up with excuses. And he asks all these questions, and God answers every single one. He's patient with Moses. He lets Moses ask the questions. He lets Moses get out all the things. But finally, Moses gets to a point where he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. You need to find somebody else. And it's in that moment that in Exodus, the Bible says, the anger of God flared up against Moses. And it's like he goes, no, Moses, you don't understand. I'm not asking you to go. I'm telling you, you're going and I'm going with you, right? He's fine as long as the questions are being asked and logistical kind of things. And what if they ask me about your name and what do I tell them? But when he says, no, I'm not going to do it, God goes, Wrong answer. And he points him in the right direction, right? Jonah is another great story from the Old Testament where we're like, God says, hey, I'm going to send you to the Ninevites. I'm going to send you to this land called Nineveh. They are a gruesome people. They are the enemies of the people of God. They are some of the most murderous, wicked, vile people that have ever lived in human history on the face of the earth. And Jonah, I'm going to send you there to tell them to repent of their sins or I'm going to wipe them out. And Jonah goes, yeah, great plan. No. And he literally gets on a boat and sails. He buys a ticket to sail to the farthest point on the earth that people travel to at that time, away from Nineveh. And it's in the middle of that journey away from where God has told him to go that a huge storm comes up, that everybody starts freaking out on the boat, that Jonah first realizes and goes, this is my fault. I'm running from the God of the universe. And the people on the boat are like, well, then we're throwing you overboard, right? And so they just toss him into the water. And a giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah's living in the belly of this fish, supernatural experience, and three days later, what happens? The fish spits him up on dry land. Guess what? Near Nineveh. And it's like, Jonah, I wasn't asking you. I'm telling you. You're going. Don't say no. And what I love that sets Mary apart from all these other people and from other people in the scriptures that have this same kind of experience with God is that when God comes to her, when the angel Gabriel shows up, she's willing to just say yes. She has a question, and that's fine, but she doesn't challenge the assignment. The question in verse 34 is, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, right? So the question is, how? How is God going to do this? Mary's young. She's not stupid. She understands how pregnancy works. And so she's going, I, I'm a virgin. How in the world do I have the son of God? How are we going to accomplish this? What's going to be the way we're doing this? So the question is how. She's looking for faith and looking for understanding. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing I would give you to write down or just to fill in uh, on the app. Mary's question to Gabriel is faith looking for understanding. Hey, I'm willing, God, to do this. I just want to know how. Like, what are the logistics behind it all? 
And Gabriel's good to answer the question. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is going to be a supernatural act. It's a powerful act of the Spirit of God who allows Mary to be pregnant. And it's interesting because the language that's used here really ties back to the very first verses of the Bible. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read verses 1 and 2, here's what we see. It's so similar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right, so when you see the Spirit of God, this supernatural act of creation begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep. And as Jesus speaks creation into existence, the Spirit of God brings these things to be. And he's there hovering over all of it. Now Mary's told that the supernatural act of creating life in her womb will be the direct result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. It's the same language. The Spirit of God is hovering over you. The Spirit of God will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will do this mighty work. Jesus' life on earth begins and ends with supernatural circumstances. His birth is supernatural. He's born of a virgin. His death on the cross is excruciating. And he physically, literally died. But his life doesn't end in death. There's supernatural power that raises him back to life. And the reason we can celebrate Easter and see the supernatural things that happen at Easter is because we look back to his birth and we go, if the the man who is born of supernatural ways can come back to life supernaturally, this doesn't have to be a stretch for us. Now, if he was born like you and I, we might really question and doubt, can somebody who's the same as me come back to life after he dies? But when we look at Jesus and when we celebrate Easter, we go, well, man, if God sent his son into the world in this supernatural way, God can also bring him back to life in supernatural power. And the fact that Jesus eternally lives with God is so powerful. That the same baby that we see cooing in the manger is the man that we see hanging on the cross. And both of those things are necessary in order for us to experience the redemption that we have through him because his life is supernatural. His death is supernatural. His resurrection is supernatural. And so we worship him and we find joy in him. So the journey for Mary to this Christmas season is supernatural. And when Gabriel answers Mary questions about how she'll become pregnant, he goes a step further. And I love this. I'm thankful for this because so many times when we see God and we go, okay, God, I got some questions about the logistics of it. And and he gives her the answer that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. But then he goes a step further and he goes, let me give you some proof. Like if this is hard, Mary, if you're struggling with any of this, let me just show you. And he goes, your cousin, your relative Elizabeth, who was said to be barren and unable to have children, she's in her sixth month of pregnancy right now. If you're looking for proof, Mary, if you're looking to see if what God says is real and what God does is true, look no further than your own family because there's another supernatural birth that's taking place. Your old relative, who should be past the age of childbearing and has been bearing her entire life, is six months pregnant. And what's the next thing Mary does after the angel leaves? She packs up and she heads off to go find Elizabeth. She's like, I'm going to put eyes on that baby in her womb. I'm going to go experience it for myself. I'm going to touch her belly. 
I'm going to feel that child move, and I'm going to know that the things God has said to me is true. The angel gives her this proof, and it's powerful. But I love what he says to her. He says, hey, I want you to know that nothing that the Lord ever says, no word from God will ever, ever fail. And church, we can take that to the bank. Like no word from God will ever fail. Nothing that God tells you, nothing that God has promised in his word will be impossible. None of it will fail. Nothing's impossible for God. He keeps all of his promises. And I don't know what you have going on in your life right now. I don't know what you have that you think is too big for you. I don't know what you have that you think is even too big for God. I don't know where you're struggling with some things. I don't know where you're finding yourself in a place of going, can I trust God? Can I act in obedience to him? Is he acting in faithfulness to me? I just don't know. Is this next step I'm supposed to take in line with God or not? And if I take it, will he follow through? If God has said it in his word and if he's made the promise to you, he'll keep his promise. No word from the Lord will ever fail. So we see Mary, and then Mary just says this beautiful sentence. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And I think this is beautiful because Mary's not in a place that I am so often where she's like, okay, like I'm hearing the assignment. I'm willing to do this, but I have some stipulations. Like I need a contract. And uh, God, if I take on this assignment, here's what I'd like for you to do for me. Like, I'd like for this child, you know, to like never get sick. And uh, maybe, you know, like even childbirth should be painless for me. I think that'd be great. And uh, like, what are the stipulations? What are the contractual things? God, you know, I'll do this, but you, Mary doesn't do any of that. Mary doesn't barter with God. She doesn't ask ask for a contract with God. She just goes, hey, listen, I'm the Lord's servant. So may your word to me be fulfilled. And Mary orders herself rightly. She doesn't say, all right, now I'm going to be on par with God on some level. She says, I'm not trying to get to a place where there's a standard where I'm equal with you. I'm your servant. And I will put myself under your divine authority. And that's where we need to find ourselves as people who follow God. That we need to be the kind of people that when God comes to us and says, here's what my word says, are you doing this? Here's what I want to ask you to do. Here's what I'm calling you to. Here's the step of obedience and faith for you that we are just willing to say yes. In fact, my challenge to us would be to just put our yes on the table before God ever asks you anything. Say, God, whenever it is in my life, at whatever stage of my life, the answer is yes. So when you come to me and you tell me to do something, I don't have to go back and forth asking, is this, the, is this God's will? Should I do this? What should I do? What steps should I take? It's just my answer is yes. You give me the assignment and I'll follow through. That's where we need to find ourselves and to say, I'm your servant. So may your word to me be fulfilled. I will go where you call me to go. I'll do what you call me to do. Uh, this week, We started our journey to Christmas together, and we have our uh, Christmas devotionals. Like I said earlier, if you haven't picked one of these up yet, I'd love for you to grab one and take it home with you today and uh, and be reading these. These were written by people in our church. This isn't something we outsourced or found and bought. Uh, These are things that were written by people that you worship with on a consistent basis. And uh, this morning, I wanted to share one of them with you because it's just so good. Uh, and, And honestly... I've been studying this passage this week and writing all these thoughts down, and I had my points, and then I went and I found this, this particular um, writing that was in the journal, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
she says everything that I'm saying, and it's better. So I'm just going to read hers, right? And so, um, so this is from Amy Martin. Amy and her family have been coming here to church for a little over a year now. And, and uh, Amy wrote this, and she said, My view of Mary has always focused on her role as the mother of Jesus. Growing up in church, I had the utmost respect for her, and I viewed her as this holy, humble woman. She said yes to God, and she parented Jesus so he could go on to fulfill his God-given purpose. But if I'm being honest, I often struggle with relating to her. I mean, she's Mary. She raised the Savior of the world. She is the unicorn of moms. And I've failed to remember that she was just a girl. There she was living her life with a pretty clear view of her future when all of a sudden God calls her to do something completely different, something scary, something no one had ever done before. And without hesitation, she said yes, despite her fears, despite the unknown, despite the ridicule she would face. She didn't say, what will they think about me if I say yes? Will they think I'm a fraud? I'm not qualified for this. God, can't you choose someone else? She just trusted God and said yes. But what if Mary hadn't said yes? Sure, she may have stayed within her comfort zone and lived out the plans she had for her own life, but the entire course of human history would have been forever changed. If Jesus hadn't come to earth, there would be no salvation, no relationship with God. We would be slaves to our sin with no hope of heaven. How many times has God called us to do something scary, and instead of trusting in him, we focus on our doubt and our fear? Our yes to God isn't about us. It's about what he wants to do through us to impact the lives of others. The future of the entire world rested in the sound of Mary's yes. She couldn't have known that, but she trusted God. Our journey to Jesus often requires us to say yes to big, scary, uncomfortable things. But the good news is that when we say yes to God, we can be confident that we won't travel alone. When we feel God calling you, to something out of your comfort zone, look to Mary as the ultimate example of what happens when you respond with a fearful but resounding yes. And so I love this, and there's so many things that are there that are just so powerful, but I want to give you just a few things as we wrap up our time together this morning for us to think about. I'm going to do this quickly as we start to close up and move toward communion. But number one is this, God loves to use people for his purposes who readily say yes. God enjoys finding people who say, yes, I'm, I'm ready. I'll do whatever you ask. Put your yes on the table. Number two, God is looking for our availability more than our ability. He wants our availability. He doesn't care what you can do. Remember what he told Moses? Moses, I'm not sending you. I didn't say you go to it. He said, I'm going with you. <laughs> this isn't even about you, Moses. I'm going to. You're just going to be the mouthpiece. I'm going to bring the power. God's looking for our availability, not our ability. God is able. We're to be available. Uh, I had a pastor growing up that would say, God doesn't always call the qualified, but he always qualifies those that he calls. Like God will always take those that he calls and he'll qualify you for the work that he gives you to do. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's him who does what's immeasurably, abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. It's not us. He just asks us to be available, to be used. Then number three, the big challenging things God calls us to do are not meant to scare us, but to show us his favor. When the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary, 
He says, don't be afraid. God's favor is with you. This isn't meant to be an assignment that's going to terrify you. It's meant to show you that God favors you. So walk into the hard, walk into the difficult, walk into the challenge, knowing that God's favor rests on you. He loves you. He wants to use you for his purposes and his glory. And then finally, while we wait for the second coming of Jesus, say yes to his ways and to his path. We're to be people who love. We're to be people who act in faithfulness. We're to be people who make disciples of Jesus. So while we're waiting for his return, say yes to the things he's called us to. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. The things that Jesus tells us to do, act in faith and obedience to it. Put your yes on the table. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.